Sleeve today, Rodan. <laughs> yes, Tommy, the wizard sleeves are on board and ready to go. Good. Approaching Delta Gobbledygook. It's been a while since we've been to Gobbledygook, Tommy. I'm excited. Strap in, Tom. Can take the, now. Yeah, I'm unbuckling. Yeah, I'm going to take my headset off, just chuck it on the, the, the dashboard of the Millennium Noggin. Yeah. We're ready. So we're uh, blasting our way mm. towards Delaware, United States uh, yeah. today, Rawdon, yeah. from our launch pad in mm. uh, Sydney. Yeah, down on Sussex Street. <laughs> that was a good launch, uh, Cam. I mean, look, we, we're at the front sort of wiggling the controls, but mm. Cam really handles the, the thrusters and everything else. So yeah. um, well done, Cam. Now, obviously, uh, Delaware will be beaming up one mm. of our uh, one of the favourite sons of the Under the Bar podcast, yeah. the evil genius mm. Roderick Chavez. Yeah, I, I've got images of you know Homer going up that tube and getting <laughs> stuck, so we might have to use the, yes. the, the double beams to really get him up. Uh, <laughs> we're the uh, oversized portal to get uh, Brods in because he's he, he might be short, but he's he's wide and certainly not aerodynamic. No, mm. he's not built for speed. No, we won't be getting too much uh, launch off the ground mm. with him. Uh, Generating force through the soles no. of his feet, no. seeing that every bone in his foot has been smashed to uh, yeah. smithereens. That's what happens on a leg press if it goes wrong, Tom. Mm. Mm. The great thing out of that story, though, is Rawdon, is that he was basically stuck in a wheelchair for nine months. Mm. And uh, That is a great thing that's come out of that story, yes. <laughs> whilst in the wheelchair, he read copious amounts of material on yeah. how to heal his body uh -huh. and started playing around with various peptide protocols. Uh, you mean Pepe Le Pews? Pepe Le Pews. Yes and uh, learnt how to supply his body with mm. the nutrients required for healing to work in synergy with strategic application of mm. uh, these peptide compounds yep. and healed him healed himself mm. and he's then applied that to various athletes i've been through the process myself mm. and um it works like magic mm. so that's one of the things that he'll be talking about a little bit today with yeah. the the peptides yeah. and um the amino sequences yeah, the yeah, amino yeah, acid yeah. sequences and how the body reads that like a code and how they mm. do their various things so that'll be fascinating yeah absolutely uh, I, I think everyone's sort of intrigued by the peptides thing you know, they're not quite banned you can get them you can mm. get them online you know yeah. should I be getting these shouldn't I be getting these I think uh, time and a place and application I think they can certainly uh, be, be uber beneficial and uh you know, with you and I now we're in our you know mid thirties, yes, or uh, well, mid twenties for yourself, mid thirties right. for myself. Yeah. You know, we're looking at these uh, the telomeres. I want thing a Pepe Le Pew to extend the old telomere, so I Very can. Good. Uh, like Benjamin Button, I'll just get younger and younger, you know? So apart from the peptides, we also spoke about the relationship of 
insulin and body fat storage mm-hmm. and the hierarchy of energy usage throughout the body and yeah. how the body utilizes you know lipids uh, amino acids and amino carbohydrates yeah i think he, 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 he went balls deep into a few mm. of like he expanded just i mean we we're interested in the fat uh, side of things and um he went into the the, the proteins breaking down and uh, amino acids and stuff too so mm-hmm. a to z covered it all it was very uh, comprehensive. Mm. So that's uh, the evil genius, Broderick Chavez, as the interview today. He'll be coming up very shortly. Mm. Before we do that, Rawdon, uh, let's send our goodwill and mm. thanks to Subito Supplements. Um, Coops. Coops, major sponsor of the Under the Bar podcast this year. They have a range of mm. the staples. Mm. The one thing that I love about the Subito Supplement range is that it's all made from the highest quality mm. products available mm. for the purposes of performance performance yeah. you're getting high quality yeah like uh, we had a i mean i'm always catching up with coops a little, little bit of a mentor of mine he's but we we're talking about um what his angle is and what he, what his pinch is and and it, you know he's resigned himself to the fact that he won't have that that broad uh, appeal to everyone like this is the whey protein for everyone like it's cheap and it's uh it's, everyone will like it he's quite okay with well, you, you know, it is a little more pricey than, than that one you can get, which is a mix of concentrate and isolate. That's fine. I'm interested in absolute performance. Mm. And, uh, and he's quite happy to be that guy and be associated with performance. And another product that you and I um, love and I, my athletes, I encourage them to use is the uh, the EAA BCAA plus electrolyte blend um, stevia sweetened. Mm. Um, the, the products are really good and, and, and clean and um, highly recommended. Like I said, that, that performance side of things is... Uh, that's the stance he's taken and um, a little bit of apparel and stuff there sleeves wraps that type of yeah. thing too great stuff and uh, it's really good that he's part of the program again for 2019 yep uh, so com for all information there yep 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 you'll find it yeah now Rawdon for yourself there's obviously not a dot com because no. you know then you just leave that dangling in the uh, uh, dangleberry in the, uh, the dangleberries are just dangling back there in the carrot galaxy but uh, yeah. how do people get in contact with you and what are you doing lately so physique prep obviously Obviously, uh, I'm doing a little bit of uh, not specific physique prep these days. So mm-hmm. obviously photo shoots I do as well. But uh, just expanding the, who I can uh, coach for body composition, obviously, end goals. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, the Dumois method uh, at gmail.com. If you want to shoot me a direct email or my Instagram and um, and Facebook pages, Dubois method, or I'm uh, Rodin Dubois, but just my Facebook personal page, quite happy to talk shop there. Yep. Uh, programs. Um, physique preparation and uh, a little bit of one-on-one PT which I've got I think at this point in time three or four spots done so I'm going to do about six so I've got a couple more spots for one-on-one PT which they get programmed some nutrition yeah. fortnightly adjusted so like a, a modified version of what I do currently for physique prep yep. but they're not necessarily working for a physique preparation end goal so they're just yeah. like training hard and Good. not shy of doing a, a little bit of volume and 90 minute session I might add so I can actually get through a fair bit of the workout with them uh, by design so yeah. yeah really excited them that i'm on the back dust, on the tools dusted off the ravens like i mentioned and nice. um, back back a uh, no stopwatch so i'm, I'm just free balling it yeah just going in there raw you know uh, well i mean that's an interesting discussion yeah. about rest uh, periods and something maybe we can discuss at a later absolutely. point yeah absolutely yeah that, that is interesting for myself rawdon i still do a bit of pt i can take online or satellite clients probably yep. for most people listening to this program the most interesting thing would be some of the um mentoring and consulting like yeah. there's a i do like a three session 
PT consulting thing where we go through the initial consultation structure, mm-hmm. initial nutrition and lifestyle design, yep. and then initial training program design in three sessions. And the idea is, is that it's interactive. So I'll actually do the initial consult on the person yep. and explain what's happening at each it's a specific eight step everything's systemized so yep, yep, you yep, get a yep. printout of it yep. it's all just we go through it i do the process i explain the process mm-hmm. and then they actually have their consult done next session is uh, nutrition and lifestyle mm-hmm. we go through and i'll explain the two different methods of nutrition design i would use yep we design nutrition and then we do initial training program design as well i think the, the, the good thing there is that lifestyle i think that's something that often like most people can put a decent program at least yeah. one fa- one or two phases of programming i'm yep. sure with what you uh, explain they'll be able to string a few programs together which is really exciting but that lifestyle element is something that i i think a, a lot get stumped by and it's mm. like they don't know how to work around that and i know you've done a lot of uh just just lifestyle consultations where they come in and how to optimize their time and i remember uh one of the guys it was a simple matter of well you're on the train for an hour and a half each way how about we do some stuff then and all of a sudden it was like oh wow now i've got time i can you know, get that done on the train and I can train it this time. And it, it was just, well, it was just uh, sunshine and, mm. and, and rainbows and he was happy and it was quite a simple fix for you. So yes. I guess that big picture looking in and um, some of that stuff is really obvious, but when we're immersed in it ourselves, that's the, the point. The, 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 we can't really see it. It's like, oh, I just can't do it. I can't, I just don't have time to do everything. Yeah. I, I can't get all this in. When it's like, just take a step back. Let me look here, here and here. There's plenty of time. Let's yeah. just optimize things. So I think that's really, really important um, when we are coaching these guys and certainly for gem pop but even for a physique athletes you know really structuring their lifestyle now mm. i don't i just say do it this way but but you know good coaches will actually structure <laughs> lifestyle you know but uh, yeah that's awesome so tomhewitt.com.au if you want to find out about that all right right now before we get to broads Rawdon, mm-hmm. um the arnold sports festival is coming up in mm. march down in melbourne in conjunction with that broderick chavez the evil genius will be in australia he and will. it would seem silly for us not to do something with him while he's here so we are going to do a seminar vectors of sports performance Yep. With Broderick Chavez, we'll do it uh, Friday the 15th of March in Melbourne. Yep. And then the following Friday, the 22nd of March in Sydney. Yep. So that will be the specific uh, under the bar evil genius mm-hmm. things that we'll be putting on there. So a full day seminar there. Yep. Full day seminar. You'll be doing the sneaky cheeky midweek over in Perth. Mate, yeah. Like uh, Richard Collins at Physique Code, the Physique Code um, uh, great company over there in, 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 in Perth and doing amazing things and getting a ton of guys and girls up on stage fan of the program uh richard just uh he said look I'll, I'll, i want you boys to come over i'm like yeah cool whatever put some flights together and we'll, we'll get over there <laughs> and next thing i know he's put some flights together we organized an event and no, he sold 15 tickets already oh, so it's on no. for young and old mate yeah. so really excited about that but that'll be broads and, and myself going over there covering uh, his spin on uh, training nutrition and supplementation so not not what we're going to do in um, uh, Melbourne and Sydney. That's Vectors of Sports Performance, where we're going to be covering all the different vectors and you know just uh, think laterally as to what that could entail, but certainly training, uh, supplementation, nutrition, and also biomechanics and genetics mm. and how they play a role in... Um, in performance as well so uh, really interesting and um you know the format for the sydney and uh, melbourne will be essentially you the, the the attendees will be part of a you and i doing a recording so we are going to be creating a product that's going to be the the um 
the concept of it everyone's welcome to come along and and there'll be specific se- sections for question and answers and um but that yeah they, they get to come along and be part of something uh hopefully something special and we do our things and it's a it's an awesome day getting some uh, really good content and uh mm. Legs from Broads, and, and every, anyone that's listened to Broads knows it's a. There's a lot in there, but you got to get it out and, and not let yes. him go down a, a rabbit hole yes. of uh, frustration and fury and, uh, you know, fist pumping and flailing arms. And uh, our role will be to steer him along and, and keep him on track, which I think we're uh, mm-hmm. we're getting okay at. We'll, we'll, we'll do our best. Yeah, look, I think what I might try this time is rather than uh, overloading the caffeine, mm. maybe I'll try and vaporize some cannabis. That might work a little better. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. So. Well, yeah, funny you mention that because, you know, I'll, I'll be flying. Oh. And you know what happens when I fly because Valium. For, for, look, it's okay here. Like we're just cruising along in a hyperspace, going over the Delaware. Our hyperspace is very slow. Yeah, you know. But we'll be in Delaware soon, and we're going to beam uh, beam him up like Homer and up into the uh, Millennium Noggin. But uh, outside of flying in hyperspace, uh, I do have issues with uh, with the standard run of the mill flying in jet planes, and it's more Tommy. Uh, as soon as I get in, I just want to open the window and get some fresh air, mm. but I can't. And then you know, I just, uh, if I'm next to the uh, yeah. exit door, you know, I'm tempted just to just turn to that and knob and, and kick it, and, and everyone will get sucked out. But don't enjoy it. So uh, I, you know, I tend to take something to help me relax. So over that week, it'll be down to I think I think we go down Thursday. So something to relax in air brackets, relax mm-hmm. on on the way down, and it stays the half life. Half life. Yeah, they sort of uh, overlap and let, let's say the half life of this particular relaxant, you know, lasts sort of up to 72 hours. So that'll be a, a valium induced haze for oh, I just mentioned the name of it, but but like a drug induced haze for uh, the Arnold Sports Festival and um then to Perth. And, and then to Perth and then another and then one up to Sydney. Flight, yeah, yeah, Sydney. It's going to be a mess, but uh, yeah. Nothing but a little modafinil and caffeine can't uh, can't you know rip me out of, so I'll be fine. <laughs> Just nice very good. Or maybe some uh, ephedrine as well. We'll see. Okay, let's go to Broads. Just on that product, we will also mention that he at the start of this interview he reflected upon his time down in Australia last year. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, the product that we talk about there is the Evil Genius Down Under, the recordings yeah, from man. Sydney and Brisbane that we did with Flex Success. Yeah, Lizzie um, and uh, Lizzie Dean, and Dean Alan, up there, Dalton. So awesome crew. You can get a free module for that product, like you'll listen to. Are we still giving away freebies? You're still giving away freebies for free. What the hell? So uh, you can go to evilgeniusdownunder.com if you like the sounds of what he's talking about. Pick up a free module, see what Mm -hmm. you think, and take it from there. Awesome. So that's pretty much everything. Sit back and enjoy the Evil Genius. No! 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 (laughs) Reevaluate your life, asshole. You're fucking it up! Because you can't cheat biology. A thousand grams of carbohydrates a day, that's what I'm fucking doing. Because you can't cheat biology. Look, uh, awesome to have you back on, on air. And uh, obviously it's something that we do on a regular basis. And um, I think Tommy, uh, you know, he was he was missing the sound of your voice. Yeah. So. G'day, Broads. You know... You know, my life hasn't quite been the same since I've returned from Australia mm. and uh, your your kind attentions. And uh, I, I miss it every goddamn day, to be to be fair. It's funny. It was a it was a very good time. I look back on it with fond memories as well. Yeah. Yeah. In Sydney, especially when um, we were getting texts from from I think the the Flex guys were were feverishly setting up the <laughs> the location, you know, oh, setting just... chairs and tables. Where are you guys? And we were just ah, we're just getting a, you know, we were just getting a, a breakfast burger. We won't be long. And then we <laughs> meandered up, you know, taking the time and. <laughs> And rocked up fashionably late, uh, mm. as we do. It was uh, the the whole event was uh, very memorable. Um, 
Yeah, I think Tommy and I often talk about this, and um, and I think you feel the same way, Brods. You know, can that be replicated again, or, or was that just the the perfect timing, yeah. a one-off event where we had a hundred plus people, like the location that for our listeners that didn't attend, we had this uh, this foyer outside that was sort of sectioned off from the street where everyone could everyone was just talking about industry related topics and, and what Brods were talking about and you were floating around you know talking to everyone the big celebrity and mm-hmm. and Jada was running around saying hello to everyone it was, it was an yeah. amazing day you, you know I think that's my greatest regret is the fact that the dog was re- reined in to such a degree <laughs> I, I thought for sure she was going to share the stage with me the whole day yeah, she would have yeah, she would have she would have absolutely yeah. we haven't um, plugged the uh the product from that for a while yeah so it's probably worth doing that broads on reflection now that you've had some space what are your thoughts on the the product i mean i think it's actually really good and of what benefit do you think it is to the listener you know i have very uh mixed emotions on that product because it is really really good it's incredibly well done it presents the material probably better than any iteration i would have done on my own mm. the only thing it doesn't do is capture that macabre that we had in Sydney that was really considerably more me. The content and the delivery of the content and the presentation of the content and even the quality of the content might be superior in that commercial product, but it isn't quite me it's just not it's not dark it's not dusty it's not you know the the dog running around at my feet it's just not the first original just goosebumps and yeah. and fucking hold your ass because it's fucking on yeah because yeah. that's what the first one was and it's I, and i think we're on your right is it's just never quite going to be that again right. it may be good i mean we, I, we're good at this and i think it would be good but yeah. it's never just going to be the jump in i'm driving yeah, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. never going to be that again strap yourself in uh, ho- hold on for the that's ride that's it mm. yeah and, and even um there were quite a few moments where where you and i would be you'd be screaming and, and pulling what little hair you have left out and i'm going yeah yeah brods but but you know gen pop everyone in the audience steals the gen pop we got to address them ah fuck gen pop who's that <laughs> you know it was uh, there, there were quite a lot of uh, emotion in that 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 first seminar and uh, and look you, you've got some footage and uh, we'll dribble that out on social media over time but that's taking nothing yeah. away from the the finished product of the the, the Virginia's down under with the guys from flex and the really appreciate their involvement uh, alongside Absolutely. us and, and, and i and i could say this to the listeners uh if anybody has the slightest bit of interest of actually hearing very very good material very very coherent and well delivered and well presented. That's the product to buy. I'm I'm very yeah. proud of that product. Yeah. Um, I'm very happy to have been part of it. But I can say with a straight face, had I been left alone to make it, it would have looked considerably different. And that's probably why I wasn't left alone to make it. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, it's a great product and uh, some some <laughs> awesome content. And uh, it came out very uh, very slick and polished. It was um, yeah it for, for for that it type did. of product. It, I think I, yeah. I, I don't know many. Uh, other products that are out there that, that cover such a, a broad spectrum of topics it was uh, it was awesome it was really good so evilgeniusdownunder.com to get your hands or to get a free module actually yeah. you can sign up and get a free module of that and see what you think take it for a bit of a spin and mm. certainly a ride. one of the concepts that, that I come away with uh, from some of that content is just really visualizing the athlete as as a machine almost like a car and when the body fat gets low and the muscle mass is high and you can do all these 
cool things and, and that carbohydrates are literally like a can be like a fuel that you just tip in mm. to make it perform to the level that you want and one of the things that broads breaks down really well is insulin's role in all of that kind of stuff i just had a quick question broads about the relationship of insulin to fat storage mm. um yeah look i mean this this might seem like uh, you're probably rolling your eyes and going again i've got to talk about this but i think it is you know from my experience it does seem to be something that a lot of listeners will default oh yeah okay yeah broads just pointed all that out but but insulin is bad and it's going to make us fat so we just got to avoid things that that elevate insulin i still think that it's a bit like a definitely still carb phobia out there there still is this oh insulin sensitivity you know insulin resistance this and that and Mm. and you know you're going to go into some detail now for us broads but and, and the likelihood of these scenarios actually you know manifesting for Okay, maybe for a, a morbidly obese individual, that's applicable, and and sure, some of us uh, may actually, you know, coach someone in that 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 demographic, and it might be a little more applicable. But but yeah, like, do you want to delve into this one, uh, Brods, and and talk about um, yeah. perhaps the, 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 I guess the main points that that people are still uh, referring to, and in, in that uh, how, how it does potentially drive um, fat gain. I'll, I'll, I will, in fact, talk about it for you guys because you're good to, good to me in other ways. Most people, I would just scream obscenities and run off. Uh, well, we'll limp, limp off aggressively. Yes. But um, let's start with something shamefully obvious but yet seemingly needs to be said out loud. Okay. Fat can only be made from calories. Okay. Fat does not come from insulin. That does not come from any other hormone. Hormones can play a role in what is stored where and in what percentages. But at the end of the day, the only thing your body can manufacture adipose tissue out of is excess fucking calories. That's it. The only way to get fat is to eat too much food. Okay? There there is no other answer there. No disease in the world is going to make you fat. No hormone in the world is going to make you fat. No weather, no behavior, no nothing. We have people in a fucking coma that do exactly nothing. And yet, they don't get fat. The only thing that can make you fat is calories beyond your necessity. So, let's start with that premise. Then, when we move down to the next tier, we say we have three major modalities of calories, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Okay. Fats are very easy to store as fat because, well, they're fat. You know, if you get paid in dollars, it's very easy to keep dollars. It's very hard to keep fucking pesos because you don't have pesos. You got fucking dollars. So, it's kind of simple. And I know that sounds like an oversimplification, but yet it's actually not. For so you, now you have proteins and carbohydrates. Now, Brods, before you go on protein and carbs, which you're going to uh, you know, delve balls deep into yeah. as you do, fat. So easy to store as fat. I get that. It makes sense. What actually happens? We eat some fat with a meal. Uh, if, you well, could, the, if you could uh, put uh, it into context. An assortment like of things can and do happen. An assortment of things. First of all, um, everybody loves to talk about makes you fat. But here's a key thing that people seemingly don't know is there is absolutely no mediator required for fat to enter a fat cell there you don't require insulin it doesn't require any driver mediator there's no receptor there's no nothing if fat touches fat cell fat enters fat cell fat cell gets bigger that's it 
Okay, yeah. it, it's literally like putting two drops of oil on a plate and jiggling the plate until they touch. They join and make one drop. That's okay. it. Fat mm. attracts fat. Fat joins fat. That's it. Okay, so now that's not exactly everything that happens when you eat fat, of course, but that also needs to be said out loud, is there's no mediating factor for fat. To get carbohydrates into fat cells, all sorts of complicated things have to happen. To get amino acids into fat cells, all sorts of complicated things need to happen. To get fat into fat cells, nothing needs to happen. So once again, it, it lends itself to the concept that it's relatively easy to store fat as fat mm. because well it's fucking fat and it enters fat cells very very easily so now you you eat fat it enters your bloodstream it enters your your, your digestive tract and ultimately to your you know small intestine and is broken into very very tiny droplets and enters the bloodstream at which point it gets to the liver and the liver can break it down into more usable products it can break it down into triglycerides free fatty acids okay those can then circulate, and cellular mitochondria can literally burn those as fuel. Yeah. However, cellular mitochondria preferentially prefer carbohydrates. So if there's sufficient carbohydrates involved in this diet, the body will preferentially burn said carbohydrates, and in a very small percentage, even amino acids preferentially to fats. Okay? So all of the cellular metabolism is done by the two of those should there be a deficiency in those then fats come in and fill in the gap okay now again that talking about like how things preferentially enter the cell and fats can enter cells easier than proteins and carbohydrates um the reason for this preferentiation at the cellular mitochondria level is fat is a large molecule carbohydrates and proteins are small molecules it is just like you're, when you're making a campfire, it is easier to burn small sticks than it is to burn really big logs. It takes more effort, energy, and manipulation to burn these large molecules. So preferentially, we start with the smaller ones. If we run out of them, then we move to what we must. Mm -hmm. So again, so you eat a mixed diet. Carbohydrates and proteins are used preferentially. Typically, there's some energy left over. That's those fatty acids. So now they circulate back to the liver. The liver then once again converts them back into fatty acids, and they enter the bloodstream and get stored as fat. Or if that, that's us. Or I was going to say, or if the meals are spaced out, i.e., you're or the meals are small, you're in a calorie deficit, yep. then they'll enter the bloodstream, and then said carbohydrate, glucose, protein, amino acids are less available and then fatty acids will be used exactly. then you, you lose body fat cool once again why only a calorie deficit leads you to losing body fat is because the deficit means there's not enough of those preferential fuels and you have to dip into the reserves the reserves are the fat every time yes is there any consequence good or bad to the uh, having to burn the larger log well there there can be and there cannot be we'll, we'll, we'll kind of skirt around that as we move up the, the food chain, if you will. So proteins do, in fact, at some points get burnt as cellular energy, but predominantly proteins go toward anabolism of, of living tissues. Yep. But there are, there are certain scenarios where certain amino acids are used as energy, but it's, it's fairly specific and finite, not directly necessary in this conversation. But just like resorting to 
burning fat as fuel and resorting is in fact the key word it's the the appropriate word in that sentence mm. uh the same thing can apply to protein in a situation where you don't give the body anything but proteins it can in fact convert proteins into a carbohydrate like usable fuel that can really happen but again your body doesn't want to it always wants to use carbohydrates and then that brings us to said carbohydrates carbohydrates are the preferential fuel of cellular metabolism and your body wants to do that carbohydrates literally only need to be broken glucose needs to be broken into two pieces those two pieces directly enter the krebs cycle and are metabolized whereas proteins that you have to strip off an amine group and all sorts of complicated things called deamination needs to happen and fatty acids need to get fractured into very very tiny pieces comparable to the original fat so again it comes basically down to ease of use and size and that means carbohydrates now so we've got that kind of preferential pecking order it's carbohydrates first protein second fat last now to be super fair and super pedantic there is always some fat burning even in the preferential condition where there's plenty of glucose your body's burning away a small amount of fats do get burnt along the way simply because there's let's call it opportunity but it's it's not ever the preferential fuel and even in a scenario like these ketogenic nut jobs that you know literally force their body to burn essentially nothing but fat it's still not the preferential fuel it's simply preferential to dying, yes, and that and that is is a logical train that most people seem to run right off of the tracks. They they go, oh, I've I'm fat adapted, and I'm now no asshole. You're just starving, and your body doesn't want to die. It's not fat adapted, like you fucking like you you know like you took some Darwinian turn and now run on fucking olive oil. You fuckwit. Yeah, it's, no, it's not like you've changed the fundamental systems physiology. that underpin the physiology. Exactly. They just, you know, there's a pecking order of preference and you've moved down to the last goddamn resort. Okay, fine. And it's a valid thing. You can do that if you want to. I'll still point and make fun of you, but you can do that. So, now getting to the hormonal impacts of these various mm. yeah, the, macronutrients. The, the, yeah. the, the devil that is insulin. Yep. Right, which is which is originally what you asked me, but I, I thought I needed to set that stage yep, to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you eat fat, there's essentially no hormonal response. It just lumps through you, disperses, and does what we just talked about. When you eat protein, it has a very nominal hormonal response because some key amino acids, the branched-chain amino acids, glycine, glutamine, a couple of others, are relatively easily convert to glucose and therefore raise blood sugar they're glucogenic or insulinogenic amino acids and therefore a bolus of protein a certain amount of those amino acids will convert to glucose raise blood sugar you get a response now carbohydrates exclusively and almost predominantly and almost exclusively i guess is better language elevates blood glucose because well that's where glucose comes from carbohydrates they're almost interchangeable words so you eat the carbohydrates the glucose within your body and specifically your bloodstream goes up and too much glucose is in fact dangerous all biological systems whether you're talking about temperature ph oxygen co2 values they have a relatively narrow range that works optimally and you get out of that range and things go haywire your temperature gets too high you overheat potentially die your temperature goes too low you you know 
potentially die. All everything pH is the same way. Like the idiots that talk about alkalizing and whatever. Your pH never fucking changes. If it did, you would die. One of the best yeah. ways to kill bacteria, which are living cells, is to acidulate them. You put acid, you put vinegar on a rag and wipe a surface, you're killing the bacteria because you've changed the pH. So anyway, moral of the story is your body wants to regulate that blood sugar within a fairly narrow range. So when your blood glucose gets much above about 120, it releases this hormone insulin, specifically your pancreas. The better Langerhans cells of your pancreas releases this, uh, what is insulin, 71 amino acids? Does that sound right? Cam, 71? <laughs> yeah, no, Cam we'll get the nod from Cam. Yeah. We want to double check that. I, I can never keep all my numbers straight, but it's a, a relatively short polypeptide. Actually, it's maybe 58. I, I don't know. I could just make up a fucking number, too. It's a, it's a short... Uh, no, 71 is, is uh, IGF-1. It's not 71. I'm not sure, actually, what insulin is. Somebody look it up and tell me. But you're, you're, the better Langerhans cells of your pancreas generate insulin. Insulin comes forth and now transmits or mediates the entry of glucose into cells. Keyword cells. There's lots of different kinds of cells. There's muscle cells, there's bone cells, and lo and behold, there's fat cells. So, fat can enter fat cells without insulin's help or mediation or anything else. Yeah. However, to get carbohydrates into fat cells, it does in fact require a bit of help. That help is the mediation of insulin. So, from that, you could immediately say, aha, see, insulin's evil. Insulin's going to take my glucose and put it in my fat cells. That is one possibility. However, let's say you're muscular. Let's say you're relatively lean and therefore don't have a lot of fat cells. And let's take this to the absolute absurdity and say, and you fucking exercise. <laughs> Your body prioritizes things based on need. So now you have a lot of muscle that's been well used and potentially has a lot of damage and necessity. And necessity typically determines priority. So then the insulin has the impetus to move the glucose into the muscle cells because they are most needy of said glucose. And coincidentally, as this glucose is entering the muscle cells, other things get to hit your eye too, like protein, amino acids, sodium, potassium, calcium, all those cool things necessary to make the cells, I don't know, bigger, stronger, hypertrophy. Literally, insulin can be and is often the most anabolic, muscularly anabolic, because actually, little subnote, the word anabolic can actually apply to being fat. If you're making fat cells bigger, you, you technically are anabolizing them, although it's an unwanted dilatorious version of anabolism. But it, but it is, in fact, to, to be truly pedantic. Anabolism does apply to getting fat. So some of the fat slobs you see milling about are actually phenomenally anabolic. And I envy them. It's just they anabolize the wrong shit. Yeah. So. And, and also uh, anti-catabolic, so it uh, inhibits breakdown a little as well, the insulin. And, that is actually where I was going to go very next is this concept of mediating. It does it kind of, um, I don't know if this analogy will have any validity to you guys. I actually live here on the east coast of the U.S. and the concept of crabbing and, and lobstering is, is everywhere. It's here. And if you know how a crab trap or a lobster trap works, it's kind of this wire mesh funnel. 
and the creature can crawl down this funnel easily enough without there's no resistance. But once they're inside, they can't get back out because the hole is now the small end is facing them and they can't squeeze through it. Mm. That's kind of how a crab trap works. They they can slip in relatively easy, but then once they're in, they can't get back out. Well, <laughs> that's actually exactly what insulin does to these muscle cells. It makes it very easy for these nutrients to enter, but now very difficult for them to get back out, much like a crab trap. So now you that is literally how insulin becomes anti-catabolic, is it makes it easy for nutrients to enter the cell, and very difficult for anything to get out of the cell. And getting out of the cell is literally the definition of catabolism. Tell mm. me, Broads, okay, glucose in the bloodstream, we haven't trained. Is it glucose, insulin, adipose tissue, or, or is the glucose still being broken down, uh, processed now, to actually... Interesting you say that. It comes down to that priority thing. In an untrained scenario, now you still have more muscle than fat. You still have a overall general macabre of good fitness and what have you, which you know people generically use the word insulin sensitivity. But that insulin sensitivity is an amalgam of the volume of muscle mass you have, how overall well-trained it is, how many other anabolic stimuli you have, etc. It's not just kind of like one thing. It's not one value. There's not a big switch that says insulin sensitivity and you either turn it on or off. Yeah. It's yeah. actually a ledger sheet of all these various variables that adds up to an overall kind of score that either you do or don't have reasonable insulin sensitivity, but it's predicated on, like I said, total amount of muscle mass, total amount of fat mass, total amount of exercise over time, mm. total amount of testosterone, estrogen, and just so many other things. But to answer your question, taking training, momentary training off the board, does change that priority slightly. It maybe doesn't make it wholly adipose yeah. anabolic, but it does shift the ratio a little bit. Instead of being an 80-20 preference to muscle and fat, it now becomes a 70-30 or 60-40 or something of that nature. Uh, and I'm making up numbers for you know quick and easy conversation. I don't have you know lab yeah. numbers on the top mm. of my head to give you sure. exactly but the concept is that as you manipulate the variables of necessity you're going to manipulate the variables of storage and ne necessarily where your body puts what and the variables of necessity will be determined by the choices that you make with your activities and what you put in your mouth 100 percent behavioral determinants and by the way eating is in fact a behavior so yes how much you eat when you eat and under what conditions determines roughly what your body is able to do with it and actually able isn't even the right word it's literally what your body is programmed to do with it yes it, it, based on necessity a, your genetic code is a very rigid playbook it tell you your genetic code tells your body what it's going to do with what whether that be good or bad that's mm. what it does and just to clarify, glucose, bloodstream, forget activity, non-activity aspect, glucose, bloodstream, straight into adipose tissue with the assistance of insulin, or glucose, bloodstream, liver, liver, triglycerides, fatty acids, fatty acids, insulin, adipose tissue. Like, is it glucose straight into the uh, fat cell, or it still has to be broken down further to be fat to store in a fat cell? Yes, it has to be. It's converted via a number of pathways. Predominantly, I'd say the glycerol path, glycerol phosphate pathway, where carbohydrate is then 
converted into glycerol phosphate, glycerol phosphate into triglycerides. That does, in fact, happen by the liver. The liver is kind of the central bank of all this, and when it decides you have too much or too little of any given currency, it converts it into the, the next most necessary currency. And it can be currency. And, 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 and at the end of the day, it's just an efficient machine. It's like, well, we got all this money, let's store it, let's store it in adipose tissue <laughs> for a rainy day. So it's uh, just doing what and it does best. Absolutely, and that analogy of the liver being the central bank is really, really apropos because that is what it does. When it decides you have enough currency to store, quote, bank, it does so, and it turns it into a format that's storable, i.e. fat. We already discussed fat stores in fat really easily, so it converts glucose or even potentially amino acids into glycerol phosphate and then into triglycerides. Triglycerides are then the body, again, being that pre-programmed machine, as soon as it sees triglycerides, boop, they enter fat cells and they're stored. Hmm. And then the minute you are short on energy, they're liberated from the fat cells, circulate into the liver. The liver goes, well, we don't really need this fat, but boy, could we use some glucose? A conversion is performed. They become glucose. They go forth and do cool glucosey things. <laughs> I love glucosey things. Right. Okay. So just to put one final uh, nail in the Cheer, coffin. Uh, strawberry on top of the uh, little cupcake. <laughs> the yeah. Cupcake. yeah. Exactly. So we'll, we'll take that person with a relatively high muscle mass, low body fat, uh, exercising. You can look at me when you're describing that. Is there any mm-hmm. benefit to eating predominantly fat and protein mm-hmm. and having a minimal insulin response? Is there any benefit to going for extended periods of time without stimulating that hormone greatly, i.e., is there any great benefit to having a low-carbohydrate diet? No. So when you bring the carbs back in, that insulin system's not going to be much better and much faster, or you, you well, utilize them better. It, it's, is, it's the not, reverse, uh, like now, now, is the now, reverse? Is the reverse? Actually, let me, let me step back and say something here. You've actually entered a funny <laughs> realm, because the answer I gave is purely predicated on two things. One, the concept of athletes, and athletes are always better off with insulin. It's why so many athletes go out of their way to buy exogenous insulin and take it. Yeah. People wouldn't Lock take something ears, that didn't fucking work. Maybe maybe once or twice, try it out, check her out, you know, explore a theory. But legions of athletes wouldn't do something. It's like steroids. Like back in the seventies they tried to in eighties they tried to tell, you know, young school kids like, oh steroids they don't there's no evidence they work for sports. And yet <laughs> You know, you know, just scads and scads of athletes were taking steroids. I'm like, I can't believe all of these people are dumb. You know, maybe maybe some of them, maybe even most of them, but all of them? It seems seems odd. So we, we could pretty much narrow down the idea that in, insulin's good for athletics in general. Now, there is a caveat kind of to what you asked. Regular people actually prize gluttony. And if you laid out a scenario one of the things insulin does actually skip the layout of scenario let's focus in on this one of the things insulin does and one of the reasons insulin has been so valuable in the survival of mammals is it makes the energy distribution and storage system very very efficient in a scenario where you minimize insulin you lose efficiency from that energy system. An inefficient system is one in which you must fuel more and more. You probably would find, if you really went out of your way to limit insulin, you would actually be able to eat more total calories 
because the machine literally wouldn't be running as efficiently. So if sheer gluttony and the ability to eat bacon at will is really, really your highest concern, okay, a lower carbohydrate, potentially even no carbohydrate scenario would allow you to eat a few extra calories in a different format than maybe you could under other conditions. However, if you prize things like overall health, athletic performance, retention of muscle mass, insulin's the only way to go. Beautiful. Okay. All right. Well, Pen I think paper out. Buy exogenous <laughs> insulin. Got it. I buy, I buy it by the keg. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I guess it's context, Tommy, and uh, perspective. Yeah, absolutely. But that all that all makes total sense. Um, okay, next item on the list, Rawdon. We thought it might be interesting to have a bit of a discussion about the uh, injury repair, peptide, oh, yes. TB500, yep, or yep. thymus and beta-4, I think, is mm. the actual the compound. Oh, yeah. When he's describing this, Brods, his, his eyes lit up <laughs> and he had this big <laughs> smile on his face saying, TB500, yeah. as he was sort of gently rubbing his tummy where he injects it, uh, injected it repeatedly. Um, but I wouldn't have stumbled on that were it not for the injury and were it not for a conversation, Brods, that I had with you when you were out here. Mm. Um, <laughs> Throw me under the bus. I'm the guy that does <laughs> Good and wholesome Tommy to to yeah. leap to the dark side. It was yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're That's exactly true. Really. What we might do, um, we had a great uh, discussion this week, Brods, how, I mean, my question to you was along the lines of uh, peptides, what are they? And then, you know, we supplement certain peptides, what are they actually uh, doing? The, the, the And you explained that... Um, you know the process of the growth hormone so maybe we could we could uh, cover that route again and the different peptides how you know some will increase uh, endogenous production of growth hormone growth hormone releasing peptides ghrps and then some will be straight growth hormone but then the cascade that occurs and then the the myriad of growth factors and how these peptides are actually uh, when the liver does its thing and converts it to the you know these hundreds of growth factors and the igf1 is the one that we sort of mention all the time but but interestingly tommy tb500 will be in there bpc157 will be in there and the mm. body will will sort of regulate them produce these different levels of peptides because i think from memory you said it's that will actually work better like endogenous production of these particular peptides could invariably work better than direct supplementation of said peptide was, was was that right better per unit milligram and we'll, we'll cover that here in a second uh by the way i just while we were while we were talking i had uh just wikipedia here so i'm as guilty as everyone else uh insulin's a 51 amino acid uh, <laughs> poly, polypeptide mm. so I, I just couldn't let it go i had to look it up so mm. i i think i said 71 I, it's 51 it so i'm, so I'm can, really can, good at being can. being close but wrong Close enough. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, do you want, uh, want to give us anyway, a review of the peptides? Um, okay. The, the whole peptide thing, uh, literally this conversation could go hours, so I'm going to do my best to shave it down. I will invariably skip over, miss, and skirt things. Um, feel free to send me hate mail. The first okay. thing about peptides is most of the things people refer to as peptides are actually drugs. 
Uh, I realize that they're sold as peptides. I realize that that's the reason they're able to be marketed without you know, prescription and license and whatever. But the reality is they are. GHRPs, the, the GHRP family, are a series of hormones that do in fact exist in a bioidentical fashion in people. Like insulin. It's what your body makes. So those are legitimately peptides. Any alteration that's made to them for the purpose of extending life, diminishing a side effect or exacerbating its effect, something, they're, they're in some way tuned or adjusted or mediated. That, by definition, makes them a drug. So the Ipamorelin, the Hexalarin, all the things you can name on all the cool peptide websites are technically drugs. I'm just being specific and pedantic. We can, we can, for the sake of argument, just call them peptides. Now, with that, there's basically two varieties that exist there. There are, quote, peptides that are going to stimulate natural production, or, no, that's natural is the wrong word in that sentence. They are going to stimulate your body to produce growth hormone in a quasi-natural fashion. The production of the growth, the growth hormone will be natural, the stimulus will have been unnatural. Yes. But it's a stimulation to make your body make it. Yes. Okay. Then secondly, we have refined and specific growth factors. Things like growth hormone fraction, IGF-1, uh, mechano growth factor tumor necrosis factor there's thousands and thousands and thousands of these things literally i don't exaggerate uh and in that is thiamuse beta and a couple of others by the way thiamuse beta can actually also be produced in very very small amounts locally within muscles but mm. the lord lion's share of it is produced by the liver via this process we're about to talk about so real yeah. quick whether you buy growth hormone you make growth hormone naturally or you unnaturally stimulate your body to naturally make growth hormone growth <laughs> hormone rushes forth and does all sorts of things we've talked about this in the past on other shows how it stimulates the pancreas to make glucagon and lipase which then dump energy via fatty acids and carbohydrates into the bloodstream the carbohydrates cause a raise in insulin so now you have fat and insulin your fat, sugar, and insulin in the bloodstream, and then the growth hormone goes forth and finds damaged cells, stimulates you know, myonuclear donation, gets cells ready to grow. All of that shit can be lumped in the category of preparatory. Raising available energy, raising available hormone levels, and prepping nuclear material, genetic material, so that growth can happen. Okay, so now the stage is set, if you will. Now, all of this growth hormone gets to the liver and it always, always, always comes back to that central bank that is the liver. The liver then in the conditions available and the conditions available are all of those things we just mentioned, the, the elevated fat levels, the elevated sugar levels, the elevated insulin levels, estrogen from other processes, i.e. conversion from testosterone via the aromatase enzyme or you know, in the case of a female, ovarian production, or in the case of a steroid user, rampant production of estrogen from that aerobatase action. But regardless, there's all these other conditions. And then including, and this is the key to this conversation, behavioral conditions, 
the specific amount of injuries you have, the specific amount of inflammation you have, the specific disposition of various tiny and hard to measure enzyme and hormonal levels from your daily activity. Mm. All of that shit is put somewhere in some hepatic ledger sheet that then tells the liver (laughs) how much of these growth factors to produce. Most of the growth hormone turns into the IGF-1 that we all talk about for muscle growth. So a large proportion of this growth hormone is converted into that 71 amino acid peptide that is IGF-1. And it goes out and does cool IGF-1 stuff. A certain amount is produced as IGF-2. And a certain amount is produced as MGF. And a certain amount is produced as necrotic tumor factor. And on and on and on and on. And a very small amount is this magical thiamuse beta. So the moral of the story is you've got a dividing line. You've got peptides that produce growth hormone and then growth hormone essentially allows the cascade to take place naturally. And then you've got the other side or the opposite side, the, the opposite, the liver side. That is, you could then insert yeah. mm. the raw growth factor. You could insert IGF-1. You could insert MGF or, in this case, thiamuse beta. Now, the, the reference Rodent had made about potentially the whole growth hormone allow the liver to convert it works better. It works better in that on a milligram to milligram basis or microgram or whatever, you know, IU, whatever measurement you want to use on a unit to unit basis, that naturally produced version is probably going to be more bioavailable in the proper ratio, more receptive, because quite literally it falls under the heading of naturally it was done naturally mm. falls into the natural paradigm and therefore works well that's not to say that applying you know 500 micrograms of exogenous yeah. thiamuse beta isn't going to work better it certainly fucking is yeah. but it's also orders of magnitude larger in dosage so goddamn it it should work better yeah but what Rodden was referring to is kind of when your body's allowed to do something that's about the best version you're going to get yeah yeah, that makes sense. And and, and the, one okay. of the one of the uh, words that you used there, which I I loved and was eye opening for me, Tommy, the behavioural yes, uh, ah. you know the circumstance and and because I one of the things you hear with growth hormones like oh well your bones grow and this and that and organs and all that sort of stuff and and Brod, Broderick, uh, you can go into more detail, but you explained that yeah okay if you're a uh, you know, a child becoming a teenager, becoming an adult. Yes. Yeah. If you take exogenous growth hormone, then yeah, it's going to do all that stuff. But some a point in time, those avenues for growth are then closed. Yes. Like, okay, if you abuse the hell out of it, you might get more growth, but it's not somewhere that is typically going to experience growth. Is that how you explain that side of things? Like, it's a, a, a Absolutely. So to jump back to our, our earlier, earlier conversation talking about, you know, the evils of insulin and carbohydrates, remember, it was behaviors that largely determined where the insulin stored the what. Yes. If you were a fat, lazy slob with no extra muscle mass, lots of extra body fat, yes. and no impetus to you know vector these calories toward muscle mass, then you don't. That was a behavioral determinant. Yeah. So the concept, the precedent, the behavior ultimately determines what your body's going to do with what is not at all unusual. So now you've got this raw material that is this giant you know protein 
growth hormone, mm. and your body has the ability to quote divvy it up into different vectors. Where it divvy, how it divvies it up, is going to be based on necessity or priority and priority is determined by behavior if you have bunches of damaged tissue the body's going to sense that and send the appropriate growth signaling to that tissue if you have no damaged tissue the body's going to send it to basically to waste it's not going to do anything with it if you have necessity for bone growth as in you know pubescence and adolescence if you have necessity for and the, the, the word you can insert there just goes on forever. Yeah. Whatever yes. you have need for, the body's going to have some measure of diagnosing that and then a measure of the ability to parse out this material in the most appropriate manner. Now, as you age, for instance, your body's ability, not only its necessity, but also its ability to send certain vectors diminishes for sure. That's why, for instance, you know, once uh, you reach pubescence, there's certain other hormonal changes, estrogen, androgens, etc. Mm. Bone plates grow. Now, almost no amount of additional signaling is going to produce additional growth in terms of height. Yeah. So the idea that you know, growth hormone is going to make you taller or something. Yes, if you were a child, not no if you're an adult because that vector has closed. And in the case of some of these injury repair hormones, if your behavior has led you to uh, drop a barbell over your head and tear your glenohumeral ligament, then the liver would prioritize the healing of that injury and produce more of those compounds? Yeah, and, you're, and literally, even in a scenario where you're not taking it exogenously, were you able to do the very delicate tests, and I do emphasize delicate, they're very, very hard to do, mm. uh, you would find that your body is in fact producing more of that than the person in line next to you. Probably not enough to get over the hump of a very traumatic injury and really yep. see resolution, but as part of the natural, normal, expected healing process, there is an elevation in that particular vector. And, and that culminated with the inflammation that's supposed to you know, convince you to stop lifting fucking barbells and all these other things combined is your body's modality toward resolution. Yeah, and, and I was going to um, say that the behavior and the environment that you set up would be one of the reasons why, because you'll see um, in the research papers that growth hormone, you know, has not been shown to increase muscle mass over time. Like they will, mm. you know, there's quite a few that, that, that people will sort of draw out and see it's not anabolic, didn't actually increase muscle mass. Uh, over time but again Broderick it comes back to that uh, creating the you know high carbohydrate environment you know high uh, you know high volume of training and you know, all these things when you know when when all those things are manipulated then implement you know a growth hormone protocol you would invariably see uh, some um, noteworthy growth yeah absolutely uh, you know again my, my perfect you know one maybe it isn't a perfect analogy but one of the things I pointed out to you in our little quick conversation about this you know yesterday or the day before when we spoke is uh look at people that have actual medical conditions look at yeah. people that have giant yeah. giantism they have acromegalia the condition that be you know potentially because of a, a a hormonal disruption or a tumor or something their pituitary gland produces rampant amounts of growth hormone what you find andre the giant jumps to mind as a, as a you know example of that condition diagnosed legitimate he had that hmm. They're very, very big people. But strangely, you don't find that they're extraordinarily muscular per their size. Mm. 
you know, he didn't look like, you know, a pro bodybuilder. He just mm. looked like an enormous human being. Yes. Yes. The and environment, the, the behavior. The reason for that is the environment, the conditions. If at a very young age he had started taking lifting weights and, you know, instead of living on alcohol he chose to live on you know high quality <laughs> carbohydrates and his physique and probably his overall health would have been radically Nasty radically different, different because mm. he would have been vectoring all of that growth stimulus toward a, a useful vector like muscle mass instead of a relatively problematic vector like soft tissue and bone growth that makes total sense and i throw uh, you throw in a, a concoction of androgens and then you yeah. got a you know, a perfect environment for yeah, growth. Yeah, a real Ondo the Giant. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, it, you know, again, you know, all this, you know, chatter about, you know, doping and drugs and sports, and then every so often somebody mentions quietly the concept of gene therapy. Well, there it fucking is. Moderate, modulate and moderate the genes that control the volume of growth hormone you make, i.e. somatostatin. Uh, much like everyone wants to talk about myostatin, well, there's a somatostatin, and if you were clever enough to identify what gene controls the volume of somatostatin you produce, and you were able to downregulate that, you could create people that produce a quote unnatural, yet natural, volume of growth hormone. Uh, so, right. Yeah, that, that's a thing, huh? That's yeah. Well, well it's going to happen, obviously. <laughs> clearly, happening, happening. No, it, yeah. it, no it's fucking it's happening, happening now. Yeah. Come on, going to happen. Come on, <laughs> um, it's, it's happening now. So I wanted to, uh, just in the ten minutes we've got left, Broads, I wanted to actually talk about the <laughs> the, the TB five hundred a little bit and how you've applied it and how that influenced the way I utilized it. So basically, it was the it was the shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. So I I tried to aggravate the area before I utilized the compound initially so I went and bowled and what actually ended up happening was over the course of probably a month I had bought a like a 30 day uh, 30 day cycle of, of the TB500 yep um, it's meant to be two injections a day for 30 days anyway what ended up happening is I would as my shoulder got a lot stronger with exposures I started to put it under more and more pressure so I would increase the amount of, of overs that I would bowl in a session and the intensity that, that I would bowl at. For our listeners, mm-hmm. you know, Tommy plays uh, cricket on the weekend yeah. and that's to put it in context. To put that in context. And, it, and it's not just the shoulder, it's the, the front leg and the front knee and the front hip pivoting over and the finger that spins the ball, that gets sore. So all these things would flare up and get sore. And I would then, rather than having two small doses, I would double or triple the dose immediately Ooh, a- yeah. after that amount of activity. And I actually found mm-hmm. that that enabled me to to sort of really learn what the what the compounds doing because i could actually feel the rate of recovery after exposing yep. the body to greater amounts of inflammation within that movement pattern wow. and it mm-hmm. it just it's enabled me to do something that last season i couldn't do because i was injured a- absolutely and quite literally you know if you consider that context is that's the very reason why athletes athletes is the word i used take anabolic steroids you know Dianabol doesn't make you a better baseball player, but it allows you to throw a hell of a lot more baseballs, mm. which will make you a better baseball player. Yes. It's it's literally childishly as simple as that. And you know, if you take that to an even greater extension, okay, you take the Dianabol to throw a whole bunch of balls, and then you still get a little bit of joint soreness, and then you take the TB500 to resolve the joint soreness, <laughs> now you can throw more balls again. And that's going to require more Dianabol. And everything moves down this chain of events that mm. each thing 
has a natural consequence, and each consequence has some sort of mediating hormone to resolve it, and you just keep escalating down the road of escalation to the point of either absolute total failure or absolute total success. Mm. And the TB500, obviously, totally legal. You can get it off a website, but it's on the WADA WADA ban list. True. And they do say it has mild anabolic properties, and I gather that the compound itself is not making your physiology anabolic it's just allowing you to recover a little quicker so the the manifestation of that could be more muscle mass if it was applied in that in that vector yeah it actually that it's funny you say that because i actually had this very conversation with a pain client just fuck a few days ago um it it literally comes down to and believe me this is where wada is dangerous because they basically make words mean whatever they want they don't necessarily abide by the you know medical dictionary you know version of language but it, it really does come down to how do you define anabolic because as i mentioned in that earlier conversation getting fat is technically anabolic so the fact that TB500 does cause protein expression and nitrogen retention within connective tissue, collagenous tissue, reticulin, technically, you could make the <laughs> argument that yes, it is anabolic because it is anabolizing non-contractile structural protein. So yeah, I, I you know I guess if we were playing fucking Jeopardy, they would win that point. Whatever. T- t- but, tell me, Broads. Um. It, it, we'll use the case in point with Tommy. Now, he's done his treatment. He, he got overzealous yep. and, you know, pinned 30 days worth in two days, and, and he's feeling fantastic. Like, TDM, that's, that's the way we do it. Yeah. More is better. But that said, is his injury now, that's it, done, dusted, he won't have problems? Or is it the actual action of bowling for his structure going to inflame things again over time? The tendons have been rejuvenated to a degree he'll have some reprieve but is, is it something that he will most likely if he intends to keep bowling he will have to do periodically once twice a year do the tb500 because if i recall re- correctly from others that i've spoken to it is the type of thing that you'll have to continue doing to to maintain that level of pain-free performance to a degree um, once again, I'm going to be a bit smarmy. I'm going to a- answer you sideways. And I, I'm, not, I'm not really trying to be mean to you, but I'm trying to illustrate how logical this is and for whatever reason why, how people seem to have a problem or a disconnect thinking about it. Okay, stop thinking about Tommy's shoulder and let's think about something we can all vaguely relate to. The, the, the fucking wheels on your car. Okay, you drive a certain way and you make a whole bunch of turns a certain way and you wear out the tire. The, t- the tire goes bad. Okay, mm-hmm. you go buy a new tire. So now you got a brand new tire. It's all, everything's great again. Is it rational to think that if you drive the same way, you're going to wear that same tire out the same way you did in the past? Of course it is. Mm. That's what you do. If that behavior pattern generates that result and now you've set up the conditions where you can engage in more of that behavior... Well, it's goddamn foolish to think you're not going to get to the same point again. The sheer fact that you can get to the same point again is the whole crux of the deal. Because previously to these sorts of modalities, once you got to the tire wore out, there was no ability to get a new tire. You were just shit out of luck on the side of the road. Yeah. Now we could fix the tire and you could drive all over again until you wear out the tire. And yes, it's a kind of a cheesy analogy. And each time... The, you know, the resolution is shorter, and 
you know, the, the duration between each, the frequency becomes more frequent and what have you. Yeah, that, that absolutely. But the moral of the story is, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, take a drug and then you'll never get that illness again, ever. Yeah. Like, mm. you know, we're finding now even vaccinations, you know, smallpox, people can fucking catch again and they didn't think they could. Nothing's permanent. It's goddamn biology is a complicated whirling system that, you know, all of us, quote, experts only vaguely understand, despite despite people's, you know, arrogance. The reality <laughs> is well, there's always shit prop it up that we didn't expect and didn't understand and didn't see coming so yeah of course that makes perfect sense and, and the reality is i mean you know you change that tire and then whoa it's a new tire man i'm gonna go around the back yeah. ways and i'm gonna go even harder and faster and then oh shit the tire's worn out again so you know fixing the <laughs> exactly. the actual issue that tommy had with the shoulder like he said now he's putting even more pressure he's doing more bowling so you can train at a greater capacity to what you were but even before, so you probably find that it may have to be more frequent than, like you might right. do it now and yeah. then next exactly. year. Then you know, mm. depending on how long you are continue to play. Yeah, I guess the the one difference to the tire analogy is that I did, I tore the ligament in an acute injury, and I so, right. and so I wasn't able to bowl a ball, and so it's enabled. Right. So it it seems like it's done some sort of healing within the within the joint. Absolutely. Stop, stop and think about this and, and I'm not I'm not trying to be the, uh, the the banner waver for drug use and I'm not I'm not trying to no, that's not you. <laughs> just, just take a moment and think about this hmm. you had a, the key word there you had an acute injury that hmm. literally brought you to absolute standstill you were unable to perform the task and now after a relatively short ther- therapy for a relatively low cost and highly available product you now have a hundred percent ability that previously might not have been achieved through surgery. Stop and think about yeah. that. Like, yeah. think about the vast escalation of technology that is. It's Thirty amazing. years ago, yeah. they would have went in there, cut on that, wrenched on that, done all kinds mm. of shit. You'd have been immobile for eight months. You'd have been ineffective for another four months, and a year later, you'd be bitching, "Ah, my shoulder still hurts." Yeah. Now you spent two hundred dollars. And had a you know fun experiment, and mm. now you're playing like a fucking madman. Like, well, really? Now, it, it's uh, amazing. Of course, Tom. It could just be placebo. Could be placebo. You know, of you're swabbing, injecting, and then yeah. oh, it's all fixed. The body, magic. Yeah, the body's got its own pharmacy. It can create. It, this, it, it does. <laughs> it does, Tom. Well, I guess the fascinating. The, you're taking so many hallucinogenic mushrooms, <laughs> yes. you only think your shoulder is better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is all a hallucination. None yes. of it's really happening. I guess the funny thing is, and, and a good way to close, is that these compounds are actually like tiny little objects. Mm. They are actual things. Yeah. That's a bit hallucinogenic for me. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's lost me. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely things. Elaborate, Tommy. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean? Like, it's like it is actually a physical. Something this, that you're putting into the body. You know, seventy-one uh, amino acids yes. together. You know, it's a tiny little object looking for a little thing to to go into a, a crab trap, which is an actual opening. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 into the receptor and yeah. uh, stimulate recovery. Yeah. The, the analogy, the analogy I would use there, the key word, you know, is peptide. Um, without knowing any you know, biology or chemistry or anything, you could basically, for the sake of explanation, replace the word peptide with the word word. 
because literally peptides are a series of amino acids and there's mm. 23 of them and there's 24 letters in the English language so literally each one of these you know you say oh, it's a 71 amino acid peptide or it's a 51 or a 38 amino acid peptide like thiamuse beta whatever you want to refer to it it's basically a X many letter word and only that word generates the information carries the information yeah. that that word is so literally you can think of peptides as words and they're as specific as that if you mm. misspell the word doesn't mean what it's supposed to it's a code okay, it's, yeah. literally it is well that's all language is is a code you're yes. putting you know yeah. random sounds into a non-random order that then has meaning that's what <laughs> that's what language is yeah. and that's what protein biology is and that's a good way to wrap things up with the peptides and um correct me if i'm wrong again broads but uh you know how they're actually manufactured that process of putting those those amino acids in a particular sequence will dictate whether they actually do what they're designed to do when they're in the body so again reputable source like tommy uh, went through to a a website that was was reputable so uh, another thing that you want to consider that the quality and the purity of these peptides that you're actually investing money in um will also influence uh, how effective they are absolutely it's it, it is as simple as that a simple misspelling of that word will generate a very ineffective or potentially non-effective word it has to be specifically that if it doesn't say you know grow soft tissue then it's not going to grow soft tissue awesome all right broads well mate uh thank you very much for your time once again today it's been a pleasure to have you uh in the studio and we'll have uh we'll have some new digs in a few weeks and we'll we'll get you into the new one as well well i appreciate that and if i may indulge i would like to say thank you to you and to all your listeners quite literally the incredibly life-changing and uh, once-in-a-lifetime experience of me coming to Australia and bringing my wife and doing all that stuff I did with you literally, quite literally, started with me being on this show. Absolutely, mate. Absolute pleasure on my behalf as well. And I'll uh, pester you again on uh, Tuesday, as I do, and we'll talk shop. But <laughs> until then, enjoy yourself and um, yeah, enjoy the, the, the delights of Delaware. <laughs> It is slowly killing me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, mate. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Absolutely, man. Thanks. Bye. And we've just beamed uh, Broderick back down Down? to uh, Delaware. Mm. We had to use all five beams to get him down. Mm. It was solid. Always. Just such an entertaining discussion Mm. with, uh, with Broads. There's no doubt about it. He has a way to break things down mm. in such an understandable way. Yeah, and I think the good thing is um, because we have been, and certainly I, ha- I think it's over three years I've been mentoring with Broads. It's yeah. been quite a length of time. And uh, it, what I really like about it is it's usually in line with what we think and, and mm. what you know our stance. And that's obviously influenced because of our time in part. Spoke with him. And, yes, and um, it's a feedback loop of uh, confirmation bias, right? Yes. So we're we're yeah. stuck in our ways now. Yeah, we are. We're in we're in a, a infinity loop, which yeah. which happens in outer space when you're in the Millennium Noggin. That's exactly right. You know, are we going forwards or backwards? The, the universe is still expanding, Tom. 
Apparently so. Actually, mm. I've been listening to a bit mm. of stuff about that. Uh, Crazy. Recent, but we, Don't try uh, and understand it. Like, it just, your head will hurt. Yeah, we go off topic. So, uh, the product that he was talking about at the start of that, mm-hmm. you can pick up the free module at evilgeniusdownunder.com. If you're interested in his uh, seminars that we'll run with yep, yep, uh, yep, t- yep. together with Rory and myself, Melbourne the 15th of March on a Friday, up at Sydney the 22nd of March on a Friday. We're going to put up a landing page with all the details of the rundown, but mm-hmm. for initial expressions of interest, you can contact Rawdon or myself or go to underthebarpodcast.com. Yep. I've and already had a few people uh, yell out and say they put the hand up, book me in. So book me in. It'll yep. be reasonably priced, um, but that'll be really exciting. I'm looking forward to that Looking one. forward to that. Rawdon, if people want to get in contact with Mate, you. Probably just uh, the Dubois method at gmail.com if they want to put a direct line in or mm-hmm. Instagram uh, or Facebook. So the social media avenues, the Dubois method, uh, they can find me there. So yeah, hit me up. Um, that'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. And then tomhewitt.com.au for myself. And thanks again to Sabido Supplements Whoa. for all of your way and intra workout requirements, mm. lifting straps and things. And EAAs. All good Get quality. into carbs. Critics. The whole lot. Okay. Oh, we're out of here, Tom. We Strap in, go. mate. Here we go. Here we go.